Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. G'day everyone and welcome to On The Grid, your weekly fix of motorsport with a down-under perspective. Each week we'll talk to the leading lights of Aussie motorsport, unpick the key issues, discuss the trending topics and have some fun along the way. From supercars to the Bathurst 12-hour and everything in between, and I mean everything, this is On The Grid. Now, here's the show's host with the most, Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you so much for joining us. Another big show coming up. Richard Crowell to catch up with Porsche Young Gun Cooper Murray shortly to have a chat about his great opportunity for 2022 and also... We'll be having a look at some of the uh, news as we catch up with Mark Walker and Crowley a little bit later on. Some big stories doing the rounds at the moment. Let's have a look at some of those news items first up. And for the five supercar rounds to finish off the 2021 supercar season will be held at Sydney Motorsport Park over four consecutive weekends through the months of October and November. While the makeup of the rounds and what tracks will be used is yet to be determined, we do know that night racing will feature during this four-week period. The penultimate round is set to conclude two weeks before the final round of the season, which, of course, is being held at Bathurst. Of course, it is the Bathurst 1000. Also, supercars have announced a start date and venue to the 2022 season. Newcastle will host next year's opener on the weekend of the 4th to the 6th of March. Meanwhile, supercars have informed all drivers and team members that they will need to be fully vaccinated in order to be a part of the remainder of the 21 season, including all four SMSP events and Bathurst. All righty, Richard Crowell kicks off the show for us tonight as he catches up with Porsche Young Gun, Cooper Murray. G'day, Crowley. The last two years have been tough for everybody, but imagine being a young racing car driver. You're at the peak of your powers. You're trying to make every right move to progress your racing career. But along with the pandemic comes a stop to motor racing and that charge to a racing dream. Well, our next guest is proof that not all careers have been put on pause by COVID-19. Cooper Murray has been one of the stars of Carrera Cup Australia in the last couple of seasons. But where by now he should have had 12 rounds under his belt... He's got five. It's been a massive challenge, but recently he was given the nod as Australia's representative for the annual Porsche shootout. That once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for young drivers to go to Europe, strut their stuff against the best Carrera Cup drivers in the world, and, if they're judged good enough, get a funded scholarship to tackle the Porsche Super Cup the following season. It's the well-trodden pathway that our own Matt Campbell and Jackson Evans have followed, to kickstart their international racing careers. Cooper Murray is the Aussie nomination this year, and he joined us on the grid to reflect on a challenging few seasons and what the bright future potentially holds. Cooper Murray joins us on the grid, mate. Congratulations on the recent news. Fantastic to see. And after a challenging couple of years, it must come as a little bit of a relief to get this career progression despite the fact that you haven't done an enormous amount of racing for the last two seasons. 
Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me on the Racehawk podcast. Yeah, it's been a difficult last two years, obviously, um, since COVID arrived in 2020 um, after two rounds in our championship. Um, it wasn't ideal with that season being cancelled and the junior shootout not going ahead um, after we had an amazing start to the year. But we bounced back. Um, we come back for the 2021 championship with McElroy Racing um, with the same goals that we had in 2020 to start off the year amazingly and get that junior shootout. Uh, the year this year didn't start off perfectly. Um, a few mishaps, especially at Taylor Bend with the crash, the broken scapula. It wasn't looking too good after that, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Uh, but we had an amazing Townsville. Uh, we drew back the points that we had to Harren, who was in the lead at the moment at that point in the junior championship. And we come out on top of that with the intention that we we're going to keep racing up until October when the nomination was meant to be made. Um, but unfortunately, we've had no racing since. So it's an easy way to get the championship, the junior championship, but also you miss out on the vital laps of racing, which is very unfortunate. But I suppose if you take not just this year's three rounds into consideration, but Grand Prix last year and then Adelaide 500 last year, it, it's a pretty good sample size, I suppose, to show that you've got what it takes to, to earn this nomination and to go overseas and, and represent the championship in the, the junior shootout. Yeah, obviously, if, if you were to combine last year's Grand Prix and Adelaide 500, where we had an amazing two rounds there and then a fairly decent three rounds here, being second in the championship at the moment, um, it's not a bad point score if you add them both up, which you, if you look at it that way, it's good. Um, but yeah, six rounds or five rounds in two years isn't very much, but mm. it's better than nothing at the moment. Yeah, it is. Any any track time is good track time in these times in which we live. Um, just run us through how and when you got the news that you'd received that nomination and what your initial reaction was. Yeah, so it was probably about three weeks ago. I got a call from Troy Bundy that the season wasn't going to go or there wasn't going to be any more rounds before the nomination date. Um and then I would be crowned the champion for the junior championship and obviously get the once in a lifetime opportunity to go over and represent uh, Porsche Creek up Australia at the shootout. So that was a um, sort of a overwhelming phone call. Um, <laughs> it was a year coming a year late. If you put it like, if, if you put it in perspective, it should have happened last year, obviously, mm. but it's um, better than not happening at all, as they say. So, I'm very grateful for the opportunity and I'm very looking forward to it. How have you managed yourself the last two years, Cooper, with, with that fact that, that this, and it's the same for everybody, I suppose, but everyone sort of lost a, a year out of their racing careers. So have you found it challenging to deal with that from a mental point of view and go, gee, I'm sitting here not doing anything when I could be over there or have you taken some comfort in the fact that everybody in this part of the world is in exactly the same boat? So in reality, you're at exactly the same level where you were 12 months ago. How have you approached it through this process? Well, to say 
last year in 2020 was definitely a struggle um, on the mental side, obviously having an amazing start to the year. You couldn't script it, obviously. Three race wins out of four races um, in probably the best form I was ever in. Um, I was just, I was fit. I was working very well with the McElroy team. Um, everything was just gelling perfectly. Um, and for that season to then be obviously cancelled, that was quite hard. Um, but I worked hard on my training throughout that year, over the break, over summer, and with the McElroy team to come back stronger and better. But um, this year, uh, we've had a bit of bad luck along the way, mm. uh, as well as some of my own mistakes uh, at Sandown. Um, and then at Townsville and qualifying as well in race one, just due to not being in the car very much this past two years. Uh, it's the same boat for everyone. But obviously, being in Melbourne and McElroy up in Queensland, I don't get the test much as either due to the border restrictions. So that's a bit challenging. Mm. Um, but did what we did and we uh, got the main thing ticked off, which was that junior championship. When it comes to the the shootout, McElroy's got a great track record with Jackson Evans and before him, Matt Campbell going over and, and doing the business. So you must be confident that you've got that knowledge base, I suppose, within the McElroy community, the family that is that, that race team to pick the brains of people and go, all right, well, how did Matt and Jackson approach it? How did they go through it? How did they prepare? How did they deal with the process? Have, have you started that? Is that on the cards? Will you be drawing from these guys that have been there, done that to prepare yourself to go over? Well, the process to become the best driver possible for that shootout started when I joined Macro back in 2019 mm. They started teaching me everything from the moment I joined them to breed me and get me prepared for whenever this opportunity may have happened. Um, so I've been working with them ever since then and um, I feel I'm ready, especially after the news that got announced that I've also, I'll also be racing in Crow Cup France as well for the last round of their championship. Yeah. And doing multiple test days as well over there in the new GD3 992 Cup car which will be an amazing opportunity and it'll make sure I'm prepared as best as I can be for the opportunity that is in front of me of going to the shootout. Yeah. Well, that was my next question, mate. And what a cool opportunity to get those miles before the shootout. And, you know, you touched on the fact you haven't had much seat time here. So that must be confidence inspiring to go and not only go and get laps, but get laps in the new car. So you'll get a taste of it before anyone here does, which is pretty cool. Yeah, when that, um, we started thinking about that with McElroy and obviously my family, and the more and more we thought about it, it was a no-brainer to go over there and get valuable laps in that new car, considering that the other people I'll be versing in the shootout have already had a season under the belt, their belt in that car. Um, so it'll be very good to get a fair few laps in that car before the shootout. Uh, give me a lot more confidence and I'm going, I'll be going into the shootout knowing that I'm not underdone in mileage of laps of the car. I've done enough laps. Um, I'll be prepared as I can be. Uh, what track is the French round at? The French round will be at Portimao in Portugal. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So I've been doing a few laps there on the sim and it's an amazing track. So I'm looking forward to that very much. I was going to ask how you've been preparing. And as we talk, you're sitting in your simulator now, cause it's all rigged up for, for sound and vision, which I love. 
Um, yeah, so obviously you've been you've been getting some miles at that track. It's a cool racetrack. It is a very cool racetrack. It's got a lot of um, elevation or surprise, especially on the sim. You can notice it. Mm. Um, and it's got a bit of everything. Most are fast corners, some tight hairpins. It's a proper racetrack. And in that new 992 Cup car, it's going to be uh, pretty cool. Uh, is iRacing your platform of choice? I know they've just added the 992 to that platform. So for Portimao, unfortunately, iRacing doesn't have that track. So I've been having to do it on the Seto Corsa, yep. um, which also have brought out a new version of the 992 as well, which is good. So yeah. I'll be able to practice in both. That's cool, mate. Hey, I just wanted to go back and you touched on some of the key elements of, of the three rounds we've had in Career Cup Australia so far. So Sandown, blindingly fast third second 12th in race three but that was a an insane car race with all kinds of stuff going on uh, but you mentioned the crash at tail and bend which was completely not your doing minding your own business in the wet heading up there into turn one and an out of control car flies directly into your path with nowhere for you to go uh, how was the recovery from that by the way and, and how did you go with the broken bones going into townsville yeah so um that was a tough one to swallow, especially being out in the lead, doing nothing wrong, minding my own business mm. and getting utterly taken out, which was hard. Um, and I knew that Saturday night that there was something wrong with my shoulder. I was in immense pain, um, but I was thankful that the macro boys could get the car fixed um, and get me out to get some points, even though I was in probably 10 out of 10 pain driving that Sunday and yeah. still managed to set the fastest lap in the last race, which is pretty cool in the pain I was in um, and get me those vital points, which now have proven to be very crucial in me going over to the shootout, which is very good. Um, mm. But then after Townsville, or after, sorry, Talon Bend, we got a scan the Monday uh, and the doctor showed me the x-rays and it was a broken scapula. Mm. so ever since well, for six weeks six seven weeks i was in a sling pretty much doing nothing um i couldn't move my left arm so i was just in the sling the whole time i was with nicole from highline physio who helped me a lot um fast forwarded my progress and the recovery which was good and it got me ready in time for townsville which was eight weeks later so as soon as I was out of the sling, I was back getting some strength, as much strength as I could back in the shoulder before Townsville. Yeah. And you were the one that finally broke the Cameron Hill string of race victories that he dominated at the start of the championship. So really uh, impressive drive up there, first and second in the, the two races up there on the Sunday, which was really cool. Um, I think final one for me, mate, and, and thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. And it's really exciting news for us who follow the journey of, young guys and girls that come through the ranks in Porsche racing to see all that hard work pay off and, and the dedication and all the effort that goes into it. So very, very cool. You've been very consistent though, haven't you, since we first met in Cup Challenge all those years ago, that this was the pathway you've wanted to follow. You've, you've wanted that junior driver thing. And it must feel like now it's even more realistic that once you get to the shootout and you put the best foot forward, which we know you will, that following that, there's a real opportunity for you to make your mark in Europe. Yeah. As you said, ever since I joined GT3 Up Challenge in 2018, this was always the goal to be able to get this opportunity to go over there and replicate what Matt Campbell's done and the opportunities that 
are there if you do get the shootout. If you do win it, is it pretty much it nearly sets you up for life. It's yeah. it's um everything a kid dreams for to race cars for Porsche, um, be a factory driver. And now that I've gotten the chance to go over and in two months and do the shootout is um, very surreal. It's definitely the most important important time in my career. I've got to put all my focus into it, um, training very hard, preparing myself as best as I can. So I'm going to leave nothing on the table, knowing whatever the result is that I've given my all and I can be happy with it. That's an outstanding approach, mate. And we really look forward to following the journey. Cooper Murray, thanks for joining us. Best wishes. Looking forward to following your progress over in Europe later this year and for whatever the future holds and congrats on everything you've achieved here so far. Thanks, Richard. Time to say good day to Mark Walker, who joins us now for a bit of a chat from the racetalk.com. Hello, Mark. Tony Shebecki, Richard Crail. Uh, what we learned this week is that motorsport should be thankful for our commentators if the grand final on Channel 7 is anything to go by. Oh, oh. oh hot take. Hot take. What's your opinion? <laughs> well, it was pretty rubbish, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think motorsport does pretty all right, if you ask me. I, uh, don't, com- I don't commentate on other commentators handiwork at least not publicly uh but i will say i listened to parts of the game via triple m perth mm. which had the great dennis committee oh, exactly doing his last call yeah his last ever footy call uh and he's like the neil crompton of football commentary i think yeah. he was uh, outstanding and since the grand final i've heard a lot of sen's work shebeki which you'll appreciate in melbourne um which had anthony hudson and jared waitley call them it's a good team. Uh, two of the best yeah. football commentators going around. And I, Jared deserves to be on TV at some point, surely, to call for network TV. He's just an unbelievably good caller. But, yeah, it's interesting to uh, interesting to watch. And the the internet was a fascinating place to be following their commentary around the, uh, <laughs> around the broadcast. <laughs> rated well, though. Rated oh, extremely well. 3.9 million, over four when you include the streaming. Um, and people ask, oh, why is supercars bothering with night racing? Well, that's why it rates its pants off live well, sport in prime time. And this is why we'll wind up with a midday start time for Bathurst, because mm-hmm. we can jam that finishing 6.30 at night. Bang, we're right in the prime time ratings period, aren't well, we? And, and boys, the numbers back that up. So it is 100% clear that if you push Bathurst later, the numbers will go up accordingly. And the largest Bathurst of the last uh, five or six years was, or six or seven years was 2014, but then 2016, (laughs) which went reasonably late in the day as well. So uh, they're the two biggest ones of the last period, 2018, which was, was that the second fastest race on record? I think Um, that's the lowest number of the last decade because it finished at five o'clock. Well, we're so, still waiting for 2014 to finish, though. That, yeah, when correct. it finishes, the ratings will be huge. Correct. So the, all the rumours are, and it hasn't been confirmed yet, but all the rumours are that it'll be a, a 12 o'clock great race start this year, which I can get around. Um, so, you know, you, even your, your fast race means it pushes beyond 6 o'clock at night. So you watch. They'll go and do the quickest ever 1,000 now. It'll be the first one under six hours just to mock them for starting it later. But, yeah, uh, that's why they'll do it. So it's amazing be... that creep though, isn't it? Like, Ten years ago, it was still a, a 9.30, 10 o'clock start. Ten o'clock. Yep. Ten o'clock. And then it went out to ten thirty. 
out to eleven, and now out to midday in the last in the last ten or so years. But it's such a big TV property for whoever the rights holder is of the day. I mean, it just gets so many eyeballs, and it pays to to put it on later. You know, you can't move the Melbourne Cup, really, can you? Oh, they have. But it's not. They're never going to, never going to jam it at six o'clock get, at night. Melbourne Cup no. gets a public holiday anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Like people yeah. are going to watch uh, it. Used to, Melbourne Cup used to be uh, around race five, so it used to be about two thirty, three o'clock. Now I think it was out to around about race seven. Four. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Look, it's interesting. I'm I'm on the let's move the grand final to night program anyway, so I'm not wedded to traditional start times. Um, and I'm I'm more than okay with Bathurst being run later in the afternoon. I, I think as long as there's some common sense that if you get to Saturday and the weather forecast is 100% chance of apocalypse, then maybe but, have some flexibility in your program to bump it back to an 11 o'clock start. But, but uh, it's, sun, it's, sunset's it's, 8 o'clock mm. this year in December. Yeah. Sunset is 8 o'clock, but when the 12 hour finished in 2020 at 6.15 or 5.45 and that storm was brewing over it was pitch black so you know that place it's, she's pretty wild but ah oh, look God, i'm all for it started at, 12, started at one Bathurst on race day never yeah have, have, who would have thought that had ever happened <laughs> regardless of the day mm. well yeah correct, yeah. correct. And sports just better at night isn't it yeah i don't know what it is i don't know whether it's the fireworks i don't know what it is all that sort of but it's just better at night fact but you could get stuff done during the day couldn't you Mm. Well, like unfortunately, it, some people get too much drinking done during the day. But I, I know for mine, if I had to go babysit and inverted commas my child all day, I'm not watching the grand final as intently as I would have if it wasn't a night game. So, yeah. yeah. News coming out also in the last few days, too, that uh, the final four rounds to make up the five. So we knew Bathurst was there, but those final four rounds now are all going to be held at Sydney Motorsport Park. So the state that is really throwing the supercars year into confusion is now going to be its saviour is the line and uh, a couple of night races and um, some midweek racing as well. It's a very COVID thing to happen, isn't it? A very 2020 slash 21 thing to happen is that supercar season derailed by this Sydney outbreak started in the West in late June, early July. And the only state that can get it back on track and get the season completed is New South Wales. So it's ironic and it's a very, very strange irony, but as it turns out, it's going to, it's going to have to work really. And I just hope that they're, um, I just hope that they're creative with how they roll this out. So I I don't think we'll see midweek supercar Shebex, but we'll definitely, we'll definitely see a bunch of night racing. Um, Two of the rounds will be on seven. The, The final round is, definitely going to be a channel seven round. So the finals yep. of these four Sydney events, which is two weeks before Bathurst. So that you guarantee that there'll be a Saturday night race for that one. You would expect that whatever the other seven round is, will feature night racing as well, potentially more night racing than the other ones. Would seven Just, be tempted to take a mid the midweek as that other round? I, well, there I don't, is, there's, there's no, no point no for mid, them to run it. There's yeah. no midweek schedule. No, there's no All point. The weekends. No, they're not yeah. going to run weekends. There's no point. Why? Why would you run weeknights? There's no. Oh, there's zero. There, look, I'm all for it, but there's zero point in this scenario because they're there for a month. So just run the weekends. That's when people yeah. know it's going to be on. Go for it. So 
look, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm I'm waiting with bated breath to see how they mix the formats. Up. So there's three tracks that they can make at Sydney Most Ball Park. Well, technically there's four, but one of them's a short circuit out the back, which you'd never use. Um, it, it makes Amaru look like Mount Panorama compared to um, compared to the big track. Look, yeah, there is, and you can bet that they'll use the Gardner circuit for two events, and then whether they use the really long track for one or use the short loop circuit for another one. That's entirely, uh, entirely where this intrigue is and how they spice things up so that it's not same, same every weekend. Um, it's good to have a full stop certainty. You know, we've had a million different permutations of the calendar this year, probably more so than last year. You know, how many times has Winton been on or off and QR was on and off and Phillip Island and all that sort of caper. So I've full made, stop, this is this has got to be it, doesn't it? I've made 21 changes to my calendar from June onwards. Tubers. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, fingers crossed. I mean, everything we've done has been to maintain the integrity of the health system. So New South Wales is trending in the right direction. I mean, it's still up there. Victoria's right up there. We're on top of New South Wales at the moment in terms of daily cases. So hopefully the, the hospitals hold out and the relaxing of the restrictions uh, doesn't cause undue stress on the health system and everything can keep rolling along the way it is. Um, a few things else that have sort of come out about this is obviously vaccine. Uh, it's going to be required. If you're going to step foot on that property on race weekend, you need to be double vaxxed. And that goes for everyone. It goes for the drivers, the teams, the officials, everybody, which is uh, going to be interesting. We're going to find out who's anti-vax, aren't we? Because if there's going to be any empty holes in the grid, I mean, you know, there's been plenty said and other people and other podcasts said plenty of wild and wacky things, haven't they? And I'll be interested to see how all that turns out. Because, I don't know who you you're know, talking about there, Mark. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you don't know what to believe comes out of his mouth, but... Um, It'll it'll come out in the wash, won't it? Because everyone's uh, in that same boat. I, I feel for the, you know, obviously this is the last resort. This is the thing that has to happen. I feel for those teams and the drivers who are going to be living for a month between the Alpha Hotel and yeah. the pit block. Can you imagine that? A month? Like, it's not a great part of the oh, world. There. No, it's not. There's no bubble, though. Isn't there? Ooh, There's no bubble. That's a worry. There's no bubble. Well, so because city's going to be effectively open nearly by then. Correct, anyway, exactly. But... Correct. So they they only have to abide by New South Wales health regulations wow. at yeah. the time. But having said that, there will be an extra layer of caution, I would have thought, from supercars management to the teams and then within the teams themselves saying, now is not the time for you to go and spend an off night at the Rudy Hill RSL which we talked about in the show last week. So I, I think... I, COVID's less to your worries. Less to your worries there, Rich. Well, true. I, I the think other there thing, will the be other thing, though, level... is there has to be a level of respect for the other states as well because if the guys want to get back into Queensland after Bathurst and not endure two weeks, at the moment, they're, they're going to have to. Back into Queensland. Well, this is that they're leaving Shebex at the moment with... Queensland are ruled out of going home. Yes, correct. So, but then if I wanted to travel to New South Wales at the moment, I couldn't get home either. Um, and I'm committed to at least Bathurst, if not the final Sydney round. And at the moment, we've got no clear idea either. Yeah. Having said that, it's only the, as we talk, the 28th of September, as you listen to this, the 29th, assuming you're a good person listening to it the day it's released, as you should. Um, or whatever you want, I don't care, really. Um, so it's, uh, 
but it, it changes so quickly. So by the 29th of October, I guarantee you it will look an entirely different yeah. scenario with movements, with directions, with all sorts of stuff. So that's the thing. And the vaccination rate is increasing so quickly at the moment, which is terrific. And I, I wrote about this on the race talk during the week. It's one of the most proud lines I've ever written that I'm, I'm most happy with is that the vaccination rate is like a McLaren Formula One car at the moment and not like the MasterCard Lola that it started out with six or seven months ago. So it's flying. And again, in a month's time, there will be about six and a half million doses more in arms than there are now. So like I said, that goalpost continues to move. So right now you just can't plan. It is impossible to plan things like going home. You've just got to commit to the dates and worry about how it turns out down the road. Mm. Uh, I suppose there's a couple other facets too as officials. I mean, motorsport, unlike all these other professional sports, a game of football, a game of basketball, netball, whatever, you don't need 600 officials there, you know, thinking more forwards towards Bathurst. And it's going to be drawing, assumingly, from the same little pool of officials to run all these Sydney Motorsport Park events for in a row, weekend off, then spend seven, eight days up at Bathurst, which is just a, a massive ask for all these volunteers who are just giving up their free time to do it. Um, and, you know, I think Sydney Motorsport Park, you can sort of get by because it's not that intense there. There's lots of runoff. You know, the flag stands a little bit further back. You don't need to have such an intense staffing around Sydney Motorsport Park to make it work. But I sort of worry about Bathurst because it's a big boy track with big boy consequences. And you want to have good officials who know what they're doing, who are on top of it, who know what to look for experienced in and seeing all the little nuanced things you know i'd hate to see just enough enough crew of officials put together just to make the event happen do you know what i'm saying yeah i yeah. don't think it'll be that bad though but, I, yeah, but, it, but just, it won't there's, know. there's enough officials in new south wales to staff bathurst competently and look you just there might be compromises elsewhere like the the person every 200 meters in pit lane blowing the whistle as the car goes by that that might be a thing of the past but like everything it's going to be a compromise but we're living in a compromised world so they'll have to find a way around it the the shining light with sydney motorsport park that places a lot of things but what it is is well set up as far as the electronic lighting goes from the the safety lighting so while i'm not suggesting at all that it's in a position to do away with marshals. It can run on a skeleton mm. setup, which it does generally on the Friday practice day of a Shannon's round, for example. So I think there will be adequate numbers to man the track safely. And you will just see people like, so here's an example at Bathurst every year, we get two volunteers in the media center, Pete and Sheila, who are two of the great human beings in the world. Mm. And they volunteer to, to staff the front desk of the media room for media coming in, give them result sheets, give them the Wi-Fi login, tell them that no, they can't go to this place on the racetrack for the 87th time. Um, they're tremendous people, but that's the kind of role that this year may just not happen because they'll need to be deployed somewhere else. But at the same time, you can cop that for improving driver safety on the road. We'll, we'll compromise with some media center convenience if it means making sure the circuit is fully staffed. So it's going to be a compromise. 100% it's going to be a compromise, but then the entire world is a compromise. The teams are making a compromise moving to Western Sydney for a month. So that's, that's the world, unfortunately. But that, the sport 
I think the sport's big enough to manage it. I think it can, there's enough resource around between Motorsport Australia and supercars and the support categories to make it work. Mm. Interesting mm. to see how it does. I, I also saw that uh, Motorsport Australia rejected the call, I believe, for them to run an opposite way at Sydney Motorsport Park. What? For one week. There, there was something mentioned about that I did read somewhere. The Motorsport Australia stated that did someone did someone accidentally shoot up on acid rather than their COVID facts? I don't think that was ever a story, Shebex. I think um, I know it was actually written as a story. I know what one you're talking about, but it's a non-event. The the circuit's licensed to go one direction. If you if you start running it the other way, you've got walls pointing at strange angles, all sorts of dramas. So no, it was never that was never going to be a thing. And um, Sydney's got they've got 37 different layouts there anyway, so. That's not a problem. One of the issues is, though, boys, that needs to be raised here is the complete inadequacy of motorsport in New South Wales. Yes. Like they've got one permanent circuit that can host supercars. That's it. Same for Queensland. Well, well, exactly right. But you can yeah, Victoria's Victoria's going to have two. Victor, yeah, but South Australia's got one. No, well, yeah, it does. But it's but New South Wales, with seven and a half million people, is the most popular state in the country. It needs it needs more. It needs a second circuit. We it really needs some of these proposals that we've written about on TRT to get off the ground because it's exposed a weakness in the system. This in that they can't just decamp to Wakefield because it's not up to spec. And at the moment, that place is in absolutely no position to get themselves up to spec no. to run it. <laughs> they're lucky to be running anything well, exactly there at the right. moment. Well, mm. I mean, they, 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 the joint could be shut down. Yeah. Um, yes. Correct. <sighs> So yeah, it's, it's which which is insane because it's in the middle of nowhere, mm. outside of Goulburn. Yeah, it's well, insane. So like the, the problem they'll, racing faces. they'll figure out what they've you know what they had when it's gone because those little regional centres, places like Goulburn or Warwick, these racetracks are lifeblood of the town. So hopefully they sort it all out. And that does it. But does Wakefield Park? Sorry, going off on a tangent here. Does it really need a big fancy pants pit lane set up? But this this whole drama they're having isn't because of they want to build this thing. It's it's just them That's going sort of come out them going the to the, yeah them going to development application has just dragged all this out. Yeah, because all of a sudden something was up for public consultation because they have to, yep. and all of the people that hate the racetrack went oh we don't want that. But it's not going to make it noisier. How is a big pit building going to make a racetrack noisier? Yeah. It's what you put on the racetrack that makes a racetrack noisier. It's just bloody stupid. Absolutely stupid. But then mm. not every racetrack in Australia has had noise complaints. The, the Bend has had noise complaints. Seriously. <laughs> Go figure. Well, for the people at the service station. No, the people that run the sheep in the property next door. Or sheep. Um, how do you see the support categories panning out? Because it's obviously a big commitment for them. I mean, are we going to see much support categories at the first event? Is it just going to be local sort of stuff filling the gap there? Because there's not going to be many interstate uh, categories are going to come over the border for, you know, week one, then go home and quarantine for two weeks and then return to Bathurst in three weeks' time. The, it's been it's been announced that Super 2 and Super 3 will do the final round yep. at Sydney Motorsport Park and go to Bathurst. Apart from that, I, don't, I haven't heard of anything else. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to answer this because I know what could be on the program. <laughs> well, well, look, S5000 has been confirmed at Sydney Motorsport Park. At the final Sydney Motorsport Park, at the fourth one. Um, so that's been confirmed there. 
so too has Super 2 and Super 3. So I don't know if you can read a trend, but... Well, also for were, the fact that you said you're expected to be there for the final round and also... Well, because there's Porsches are probably going to be there. S5000s there, mate. So oh, yeah, okay, I'm yeah, definitely yeah, going to be there. Yeah. Um, so, but Porsche but, would but, still want to run another round or a round before... Oh, of, of course they, they would, but, they've, yeah. but four of their best championship cars are based in Queensland. Yeah. So, like you said, you can't expect those guys to go and quarantine because they're not full-time race teams. They they rely on contractors. They yeah. to to put a staff up, even if you're if you're McElroy Racing and you bring a minimum staff, which is basically two people per car, you're still going to quarantine twelve people mm. for two weeks at however much it costs, assuming you still have to do the hotel thing. And but again, by then we don't know. So you, look, you're not going to know much about that support program for another couple of weeks, because a lot of it will rely on whether these categories can get there and then either get back to home in between Sydney and Bathurst, or whether they can afford to stay on the road, or whether they can go at all. Simple as that. Well, I mean, the supercars probably won't need much practice by week four, will they? I'll have the well, recently no. sus by then. Well, but see, the- that's something they should do. Is just like by the time they get there for week four, bugger practice off completely. Give them a ten-minute session to shake the cars down, or better, give them a thirty-five or forty-minute co-drivers only session. Well, exactly. and send them straight the, to quality. Where do the co-drivers get a chop? Like well, they've they have been to get largely, a chop there, surely. Yeah, surely. Hmm. Radicals could run as a support. They just have to come out of their garage, don't they? Hmm. Well, they could. They're based there. Look. Half the Toyota 86 fields based in Sydney, yeah. as far as I know. So you could run a yeah, grid. Even if it's a non-championship, yeah. And look, there are a host of New South Wales state-level categories that haven't raced since June. So I'm sure you could put grids together. But I, if if you're expecting yeah. national-level stuff, it won't be until that fourth weekend, would be yeah. my would be my thought. N- Nissan Pulsars. Sure, why not? <laughs> It's, and it's and we're expecting happen. that fourth weekend to be the week before Bathurst? No. It's two weeks before. Two weeks Bathurst. before. The date's been locked in. Yeah. Two weeks before. So they'll finish at Sydney on the Sunday. Then they'll basically be, they'll have six days off, seven days off. Then they'll basically be bumping into Bathurst on the following Sunday. Yeah. To get set up Monday on track Tuesday. Now, I don't think supercars will be on track Tuesday. I, I think supercars, by the looks of it, are keeping their current Schedule, so Thursday, they'll, Friday, they'll be on track. Sunday. Yeah, correct. But supports will definitely be on track Tuesday, Wednesday, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Hmm. All interesting. Heaps of stuff happening right around the world, and the Formula One circuit has been oh. quite exciting for Aussies and also for the F one themselves. Let's have a look at the F threes and the F twos, though. And uh, gee whiz, a Duan and a Piastri looked pretty solid in their victories. How good was Jack doing telling his team where to go stick their team orders? <laughs> that was spicy, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I thought that was brilliant and 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 warranted. And rightly so, yeah. Yeah, the, the situation in that level is that the driver's paying the team, not the team paying the driver. So the team exists to make money out of drivers bringing 800,000 euros to run Formula 3. Um, the driver's got every right to tell them to go stick it just because they want to win a team's championship. Which in that at that level is a piece of silverware and some accolades, and that's about it. So yeah. no, I I enjoyed it, and and it was good to see a bit of um, a bit of Aussie Mick in 
in young Jack, I think, a bit of mongrel, get the elbows out a bit, tell it where it stands, really um, emphasize his position. It was a terrific drive, really good drive under a lot of pressure. And he let him by. He did, he did it. He let him by. And then old mate made a mistake and Jack repassed him. So yeah. what was he supposed to do? And Oscar, real deal, isn't he? It just mm, keeps, he is. keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? Mm. What does he do next year? Because he's not going to get that Alpine drive. No. Nah. And Guan Yuzhou will get that. So, you know, Alonso's in great form, but how long is he going to be in that seat for? Maybe another year? Does he stick it out a year and, and end up there in 23? Or does he go somewhere else for 12 months? What what does he do? Mm. What does he do? It's It's the big question. I'm sure... Mark Webber, who's managing him, has a whole host of ideas. But, like, does he go to the States and race IndyCar, do the road and straight courses, take Romain Grosjean's seat at Dale Coyne? It's a good car. Yeah. Need him to be on the podium. Get a get a year of hard racing over there under his belt just to keep him sharp. I, I don't know. What does he, what does he do? He's, he's got to stay somewhere where there's profile, where there's really hard competitive racing. So he, when the time comes... He can jump straight into a Formula One car in 23, but it certainly doesn't look like he's going to be there next year for so, sure. So what, what are options like going to Japan doing? I mean, like DTM's not really a thing anymore, is it? So no. well, he may as well just go and race G3 cars in yep. somewhere else. Yeah. Cars. So he doesn't need to stay in open wheelers. Oh, no, he does. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think you risk running into irrelevance if you jump into a, yeah. And it's like DTM, back in the day were the closest it's, things you could get to an open factory, wheel car. Factory back stuff too, you know, works yeah. Mercedes team and whatnot. You could easily just shunt a driver there for a year. And... Yeah. But they're only GT3 cars though. Like when yeah, they yeah, were you the, can't now, yeah, you can't yeah, now. When they were proper full blown, those class one cars, they were as quick as formula three cars, if not faster and with more aero. So, and you saw like Robert Wickens came out of that straight into an Indy car and was unbelievably competitive because the Indy car had about the same level as downforce as the DTM car. Hmm. But now they're just GT3 cars. I say just, they're still awesome, but it's GT3. Yeah, I, I would have thought Super Formula in Japan would be another option. Go and do a season over there. Fast cars, hard to drive, long races, pit stops. That that could be the other option and probably cheaper than trying to fund a, a season in the States as well, I would have thought. It's 5,000. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? We'd have him. We could challenge for our local blokes, wouldn't it? <laughs> Like, sadly, I can't see that happening, Shabeki. But no. uh, you never do, do, you know. Know, do you know people though? I can certainly make a phone call. <laughs> certainly make a phone call. You yeah, heard it here first. I've, I've got a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who's friends with Mark Weber. So yeah, sure, no problems. Six degrees <laughs> of separation. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's about five. So maybe we're in. Even better. But it, uh, it's a big question because he's smoking that field at the moment, and um, and look, I. It's frustrating, but I, I get it. Like Formula One is a money game and Guan Yu Zhou not only brings an enormous amount of backing, but he's Chinese. So it is so important for these brands to sell in China. So of course they're going to go after a Chinese driver yeah. who's competent. And he's that. There's, there's no doubt he's a very good driver. He's second in the championship. It just turns out that the Aussie's a better driver, <laughs> but doesn't have $30 million a year in backing to yeah. throw at a team so that's the only problem yeah uh formula one one of the uh one of the better races again ah just keeps getting better and better my two boys my 18 year old and 16 year old for the first time in their lives actually stayed up and watched a full f1 race and 
they just couldn't believe what they were seeing in front of them. Where's this been? Yeah. Well, and that's the point, Shebex. Where has it been? Yeah. And and it hasn't been anywhere like this for the whole hybrid era. But the teams have got closer. Other teams have stepped up. The depth of competition is better than it's been in a long, long time. And all of a sudden, you get utterly compelling motor racing. And it's extraordinary. And watching these races play out live is just brilliant. And that was a cracking motor race, helped by a wet qualifying session. So the field was out of order already after quality. And um, you got a terrific Grand Prix because of it. But, gee, your heart breaks for Lando. I I made the call, and full credit to made the call. It was the wrong one. 100% it was the wrong decision. But backed himself. Ultimately, it rained harder than perhaps he thought it would. And he fired it off the road, lost his first Grand Prix win with inside of the flag. But, gee, it was a dramatic way to do it. I feel sorry for anyone who woke up Monday morning, looked at the result sheet, Hamilton first, Verstappen second. Oh, well. Yeah, and then the next guy, like 50 <laughs> seconds behind. You go, oh, I'm not going to watch that replay. <laughs> but even, even Max was 50 seconds behind Lewis, was he? Yeah, but he started last. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's not a bad effort. Yeah, it was, a, it was a remarkable drive from Verstappen. Like, If he wins the World Championship this year, that's the race he goes, yeah, probably. that's where we run it. Because we, we pulled something out of the fire there. Yeah. That but was remarkable. Where, where's this version of McLaren been for a decade? Oh, well, like, it could have been two weeks in a row. Incompetent management, bad leadership. Yeah, <laughs> dramas. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, McLaren, two wins and yeah, two, right. two races. But it's been a, it's been a, you know, Zach Brown took over, and it was hard for a couple of years. But the pieces he's put in place have slowly but surely paid off. And Andreas Seidel there, they made great decisions with drivers. They've got the commercial stuff sorted. Oh, what a what a performance! They and Daniel Ricciardo's on the podium, all bar a bad pit stop. Well, exactly. They ultimately the irony is they cost themselves a podium twice because yeah. they cost themselves a podium by not telling Lando to pit over his own thoughts, which was the difference between them and McLaren and uh, Mercedes AMG in the end because Mercedes told Lewis to pit and he didn't like it, but they told him to pit anyway. Yeah, because they remembered that they're the ones paying his ridiculous salary. So do as I say. So McLaren um, should have been more insistent. I think. Oh well, yeah, clearly, clearly. But mm. but it was Daniel who made the call to pit for Inters in his car. Yeah. So there was a good story by Dieter Rink and the journalist I was reading about that today, and they actually went through and had the entire transcript of both cars' radios side by side, and it was Ricardo who made the decision to pit. For Inters, he was like, no, I'm, I'm stopping. But then there's a couple of hundred Grand Prix more experience there. So surely he, he just read the conditions better. Went, no, no, I'm not going to take the risk. But had he not lost those five seconds in that pit stop, Shebex, you're right. He would have been third yeah. on the road. Yeah, because he only finished a couple of seconds behind Perez. Mm. The Jews, uh, I'll tell you what, we rode. I've never ridden every single bump and curve and turn and slide with a driver as I did as much with Lando. In those last couple of laps before it was just non-existent for him. But that lap, that fourth lap and third last lap of the race, uh, it was just uh, amazing. Just, for, you were phenomenal in the car cockpit, control. weren't you? Yeah. Phenomenal car control. Like these things have got a thousand horsepower. And that track is slick and hard on tires at the best of times. So yeah, it was um that was tremendous. Really cool. It was such a good motor race. Yeah. And Lewis to get his hundredth. GP win. That's an amazing effort. Love him or hate him. He's uh, he's a bloody champion driver. It's unlikely we see that again, right? I would have thought so. Although we said that about Schumacher as well. So 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, I would have thought from the current the... crop, though, you'd see it again. Probably not. It, it's a bit hollow in my the way he did it because he didn't deserve to win that race. That I mean, or, or didn't he? I don't know. They made the right call, but I, I think everyone was riding the Lando train to victory but there. You, you got to lose one before you win one, don't yeah, you? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, he's lost seven before he's won this one. Oh, sorry, not I'm talking to Lewis. You mean Lando? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But that was a long time between drinks for wins for Lewis, wasn't it? Well, Silverstone, yeah. After yeah. So that'd be so, the yeah. longest stint he's gone without a win for Ooh, a long comments. time. Yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> um, United States of America, our final round of IndyCar was a cracking, another cracking race for yeah. them on a circuit that traditionally doesn't provide thrilling motor racing. Colton Herder two for two. But um, so good to see our boy Scotty McLaughlin wrap up the Rookie of the Year title. Just uh, what a what a cool thing to do. Never been done by a Team Penske driver. Uh, Ooh, and, he di- and he did it by Grosjean fencing himself, which yes. was lovely to see. <laughs> <laughs> but Scotty's done an awesome job this year. Mm. You know, like all he's ever driven is V8 supercars. And he's mm. rolled in over there, open wheelers, big bad cars on these big bad tracks. And the thing he did the best at was the ovals. Something you, you wouldn't have picked. Like, he just went out there and smoked him on all the ovals. Well, so, he could have uh, finished fourth at the Indy 500. 100%. Had he not um, pit lane speed himself coming into the lane. But rookie error. Yeah, big but, things ahead so, for Scotty. He, he's, he'll be on the podium next year, I've got no doubt. But, like, just the momentum at the... He, he just looked like he belonged. Like, he was on top of the, one of the practice sessions there at Portland. Like, he's shown good pace in these last uh, few races, he's feeling a lot more comfortable in the car. He's got a direction that he's comfortable with. So, mm. uh, you know, he's obviously been there picking apart all his very experienced co- um, teammates that he's had this year, been able to lean on their data and their way of doing things. And now he's forging ahead with something that he's, um, he believes in and got the pace. So, um, yeah, bring it on. I think the other great thing for Scotty is that he's been really open after every race that he's made this mistake and a stupid mistake here. So he knows exactly what he's done wrong and we'll make sure that that doesn't happen next year. What can we expect from Scott in regards to an improve uh, 10%, 20% on this year? What, what do we expect? But he's not 10% off. No. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. So you qualify 14th in IndyCar at the moment and you're six tenths off pole. So that, that's how competitive it is. Uh, I don't think you put a percentage on it, Shebex, but I, I think top 10 in the championship for sure. And if not a race win, there's regular contending. But but he's had the race pace all season. It, it's been qualifying that's been his Achilles heel, and he's been open to that. And the IndyCar rules are such that you don't get to run the red tyre, the soft compound tyre, until you get to qualifying. So you spend your weekend getting up to speed, working out which way the track goes, grip levels, all of that. And then all of a sudden you get a tire, which gives you 20% better grip, better braking performance, better power down everything. It's a second a lap faster. Yeah. So all of a sudden you've got one 15 minute session, which is part one of qualifying to get your head around that. And if you don't get your head around it, you're buggered and you're out of the 12 and then you're out of the fast six and you're stuck down in the field. And if you're stuck down in the field in IndyCar, it's really hard to get to the front because it's so competitive. So he's just got to sort the one lap pace out, which he'll do because he's the best qualifier we've ever seen in supercar racing. So he has an innate ability to pull a lap out and it's just learning that tire and the the intricacies of that coupled with leaning on the aero and everything around it to, um, to get it right. But he'll do that. 
no problems. So yeah. in my book, what's a what's a good year for Scotty next year? Well, I think he he qualifies in the top ten at almost every race, like all the Penske guys do. And if he doesn't win a race, he certainly is on the podium a couple of times on road and street courses, and that'll be a big a big pass mark. You, you mentioned the openness, and I, I think we've seen a bit more openness this year, like him documenting his tale of being in this, you know, Scott Does America. Yeah. You know, there's none of that tall poppy over there that he had to cop constantly over here when he was just demolishing the fields. And I think even the Holden fans in Australia are behind him because he's mm. not over here still smashing them on the track every well, week. he's a Chevy driver now. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think he's got the whole of this region behind him and, you know, there's a lot more positivity in his world over there doing what he's doing in IndyCar rather than what he was copying um, down here in Australia. And it was the same with Ambrose when he went over there. You know, Ambrose really rocked the boat when he was in Australia. He was the blue guy and all the Holden guys were against him. And, mm. you know, all the niggle that Ambrose was on the receiving end on is is very well documented. And I think Scotty was in a similar boat. You know, he, he donged everyone down under and he's gone up there as the underdog and he's doing a good job of it. Are we any chance of seeing him jump in a Shell V-Power supercar for Bathurst? No. No? I think he's he's reeled it out anyway. Yeah. 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 Shame. Yeah, it is. It is. But, yeah. like I said, compromise, right? Yeah. And, I, and for, I suppose the final, question, the final question on Scott for me is, is he the next big thing in IndyCar? Oh, there's any number oh, of big things, aren't there? Pato Award, Colton Herder, yeah. Roman Grosjean. Well, who would have thought a, a guy in his mid-30s would come into IndyCar racing and make such an impact? And yeah. and th- there was a really interesting shot after he was out of the race. He was sitting on pit wall and he, he popped up. They had a split screen on the TV, but that was going to the big screens as well. And he got a massive ra- massive roar from the crowd. Yeah. So and and acknowledge them because they saw him sitting there. So he's he's made an enormous impact on that sport this year. And it's such a good story. So it's not just this youth movement that's in IndyCar. Pato Award for crying out loud. Um Alex Palo, I was gonna say for winning the championship. Like where did he come from? What a what a huge effort. But you look at Grosjean, everyone has seen Drive to Survive. They've all seen mm. him sitting yeah. in his little fireball there. So mm-hmm. everyone knows about Grosjean and what his story yeah. was coming here. Yeah. And how's that fight next year? Two Andretti drivers. I mean, even Ross is good, but Colton Herder has been absolutely on fire, mm. has made some mistakes. Iron those out. He'll be unbeatable. But then you've got Grosjean and the car next door. So that just the battle between those two next year is going to be fantastic. So yeah, what sure. to look forward to there. It's such a cool thing. I, I love I love that sport as well, how the older blokes can still stay competitive too. So, Dixon. He, well, Dixon it will 100% be a title contender and he will be a title contender until the day he dies, probably. And when he's 95, he'll still be running an IndyCar winning championships. But I love, like Maya Shank Racing has got Elio Castroneves back full-time. He qualified third mm. in his mid-40s at Long yeah. Beach um, and they've just signed Simon Paginot. So they've now got a two-car team with guys who've got, I think, like 45 IndyCar wins between the two of them and five Indy 500s. So mm. all of a sudden, that team looks tasty. And it's, yeah, it's so, so cool how that series has developed. And um, it's been interesting to see the rumors of a third engine manufacturer talk pop up again over the last couple of days. So hopefully mm. they can get that done and get a Toyota or a Ford or somebody in and uh, get a third brand on the track as well. Yeah. 
All right, boys, that pretty much wraps up our week this week. Thank you once again for uh, being a part of it. No, it's always a pleasure. And we'll come back to you in seven days' time where we can sit here and talk about things that may or may not happen because we have as much idea as anybody else, to be brutally honest. But um, (laughs) that's just the world we live in. (laughs) It certainly is. Good on you, Mark. Catch you soon. Good chat. And we'll catch you soon. Thanks for joining us right here on The Grid. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.